All right, everybody, let's grab a seat. How about let's give our worship team a hand clap to this morning. Thank them. Praise God. Our young people as they prepare for a camp. Excited. You guys ready? You guys excited? You guys ready? All right. Yeah. Well, we've had already a great kickoff to summer um, to, so far with Kids Camp last week. You're going to hear some stories about that next Sunday in addition to Youth America uh, testimonies and stories next week in our Next Gen service. And uh, going to be a really phenomenal Sunday next week, next weekend. We're continuing today with, with our series called Revival God Encounters. Revival God Encounters. And I want to invite you to open up your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 3. And then also over to Hebrews chapter 12. Philippians 3 and then Hebrews chapter 12. I know they're going to share this more next week, but I I just want to go ahead and tell you that uh, at camp this last week, at Kids Camp, New Life Kids Camp, we had uh, three first-time decisions for Jesus this last week at Kids Camp. Yeah, That's like... Yeah, that's what it's about. And then we had uh, between, uh, anywhere between 6 and 12 uh, recommitments and rededications to the Lord from our young people. Amen. Let's thank God for that. As you know, camp is not just a time just to send away our kids, but it's a time to invest into our young people. And certainly just want you to know your investment into the next generation is productive and profitable significantly. Philippians 3, look, look at verse 14. Paul writes this to the believers in Philippi. And at the beginning of his letter in chapter 1, he says he write, he's writing it to all the believers there and including the elders and the deacons. So he's wanting to make sure that not one person is excluded from what he has to say. And he says this in verse 14. He says, I press on to reach the end of the brace and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Look over in Hebrews 12, verse 1. The writer here is unknown. A lot of of stories as to who it might be, but it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Verse 3, think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people then you won't become weary and give up. Amen? Isn't that word good? Let's bow our heads. Let's pray over this message. God Almighty, thank you for saving us. And as we declared in the song earlier, that life is better your way. If we would just go your way, if we would just let go of ourself and let go of our stuff and, and, and put you there, life is better your way. So Jesus, now as we open your word, speak to our hearts, open our ears and our eyes and our hearts and our minds to understand it and receive it. And God, wherever we have pride, wherever we have a kickback against you now, melt that, destroy that, let it fall to the side. 
so that we can get what we need to get from you. I honor you now, and I thank you for using me to speak your word in Jesus' name. And everybody says amen and amen. I want to talk to you today a message I've titled Endurance Focused on the Goal. Endurance Focused on the Goal. I want to go back to Philippians 3, but this time I'm going to read it from a different translation, the message translation. And there's a few things Paul says that I want to pull out. Let's look at it here in the message translation. Paul says, I think you got to go back one. He says, I'm, there it is right there. I'm not saying that I have all this together, that I have made it, or that I have it made. But I am well on my way, reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me, Friends, don't get me wrong, by no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal, where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back. And again, Paul writes this at the beginning in the introduction of, his, of this letter, and he's writing, he says, I write this to all the believers in Philippi, including all the elders and the deacons. And I think he writes that because of what he has to say. Obviously, it's important. But he wants everyone to understand that no one has made it. No one is perfect in their faith in Christ on this side of eternity. No one. And Paul includes himself in that, an apostle, one who has planted many churches responsible for the salvations of many people over the course of his ministry. And he puts himself right there in the middle as he preaches this letter to them and writes it to them. He says, look, I haven't made it. I, haven't all, I don't have it all together. I don't claim to. But he said, there's, there's some things that, that I am doing that I want you to do as well. And that's what I want to pull out here at the beginning of this message. He, he pulls out three things here. He sets aside three things. The first one, he says, I'm reaching out for Christ. And so he says, I'm, uh, all of this, I've not made it. I've not arrived. I'm not perfect. But here's the first thing I'm doing. I'm starting with Jesus. I'm starting with Jesus. He says, I ha- I've come a long ways. I'm not who I used to be, but I still have a long ways to go. Even late in life, late in ministry, when he, when he had done all he had done for God, Paul surely could have just kicked back, relaxed on some Long Island iced tea or whatever you want to call it, and just said, hey, I'm good. I did it. I did all that God said. And I'm not suggesting Paul was a boozer or anything like that, so don't get me wrong. But Paul was like, no, I have not made it. I have not arrived. But one thing I am doing, and I'm still doing, and it's this, I'm still starting with Jesus. And here's the thing, starting with Jesus, there's a couple of things that, 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 require, that, that, that requires us to need Jesus. One is our sin. We can't get rid of our sin on our own. We can't forgive our sin on our own. We can't overcome our sin on our own. It requires a sacrifice. It requires a cross, and it requires the Christ on the cross, and that was Jesus himself. He died for our sins. He died for the sins of the world. He died in your place. As Hershey mentioned earlier, that when we were, if we were transgressors and we were enemies of God, yet Christ still died for us. He still sought us. He still came for us. He came with us in mind. That's good news. And so the thing is, sin is really this. I'll break it down like this in its basic terms, and that is anything that causes us to disobey and miss our mark for God. So therefore, we can list out the millions of sins that any of us can think of, 
And they all will cause us to disobey and miss our mark for God. What is our mark? Our mark is God's purpose on our life. Our mark is God's will for our life. Our mark is God's mission for our life. Our, our mark is, is what God has created us for, to worship Him, to love Him, and to glorify Him, and to make His name known in this world. To do what He's called us to do, to live the life in the image of Jesus Christ. And sin causes us to be separated from Him. And when we're separated from God, then what happens is we're separated from our purpose. But there's also some other things, a thing that I call sickness of the heart. Sickness of the heart are things like loneliness and discouragement, grief, sorrow, hatred, bitterness, offense, gossip, lying, cheating, things like that 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 this kind of dwell on the inside of us. Sickness of the heart, disappointment and discouragement. Those are some, those are some just some of the basic things that, that stick out in, in a lot of our lives. And those things, if we allow those things to fester and grow in our heart, then guess what? We will not be on our mark for God. We will not live out our purpose for Him. And that's why Paul says, I haven't made it, I haven't arrived, I'm not perfect. But the one thing I'm doing first and foremost is I start with Jesus. And I recognize that Jesus forgives my sin. Jesus buries my sin in His blood. Amen. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, so are my transgressions far from us. And our sin is forgiven. Our sin is buried in the blood of Christ Jesus. So whatever weight of sin any of you and any of us might carry at any given time, if we will just, the Bible says if we will just confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin, whatever it is. Whatever it is. And the sickness of our heart, if we will go to him, Jesus will heal us of those things. We don't have to carry grief and sorrow and disappointment and discouragement for the rest of our days. Regardless of the battles we have faced or the battles we are facing, Jesus Christ is our victory. He is the one who has overcome. And him in us is greater than he that is in this world. Jesus has come to heal us of the sickness in our heart. But then Paul says another thing. I don't just start with Jesus. He says, I step with Jesus. He said, I've got my eye on the goal. I've got my eye on the goal, so I'm going to step with him. In other words, I'm going to let Jesus be my leader and be my guide. Wherever Jesus guides me, wherever Jesus leads me, wherever he directs my life, then I'm going to keep going in that direction. I'm going to keep doing that. And Paul, listen, keep, keep the context of who's saying this. Paul, an apostle. Paul, who was the perfect Pharisee before he was introduced to Jesus. Meaning, Paul kept the letter of the law, crossed his T's, dotted his I's, zigzags his Z's. I mean, he was on it. He was on it. And that's why he thought so much of himself. But when he became born again and Jesus was introduced to him, Paul didn't think too much of himself. He thought a whole lot of what Christ can do and who Christ is. Amen? And this is Paul writing this. And he said, I start, but I also step. I don't think I know it all. I've been around some know-it-alls. I have been a know-it-all a few, on a few occasions. Still tempted sometimes to be a know-it-all. But it doesn't take long before I get knocked off the high horse And Jesus is like, here, you ain't the one. You're not God's gift to the world. Jesus is, right? 
And Paul's like, look, that's me. I haven't made it, but I'm going to keep stepping with him. I'm going to keep letting Jesus lead me and guide me and be the Lord of my life. But then he says the third thing. He says, I, don't, I start, I step, but I also stay with Jesus. He says it this way. He says, I'm often running and I'm not turning back. I'm often running and I'm not turning back. I'm staying with Jesus. Here's the thing. You can't stay in your lane if you're always looking back. Right? Think about it. Those of you who, who legally can drive and have your driver's license and it's not suspended or anything like that. If, you can, if you're driving your car and you're always looking back behind you, it ain't going to be but just a quick minute before you have a crash. Right? We cannot stay in our lane if we're always looking back at our past. Right? We're constantly reminded of that in the Word of God, to not look back, to not look back, to not look back. Now, I know as people, we, bring up, we like to bring up the past because we use them for the wrong reasons. We use our past against other people. And the enemy especially, he's called the accuser of the brethren. He likes to accuse us day and night of all the stuff and all of our past and all of our sins. And Paul says, look, I haven't made it. I know I've made my... Can you imagine? Paul was a murderer. He was killing Christians. And he got born again. He got wrecked by the reckless love of God. And Paul was no longer doing those things. Paul was no longer the same. In fact, his name even changed. It was Saul prior, and it became Paul. In fact, when he first got saved, a lot of the disciples were scared of him. They thought, no, this dude's just coming in under the radar, and it ain't going to be long before he picks up a stone and cracks us. But he had to prove himself, and others had to come around and say, no, he is really saved. <laughs> he really is saved. He really is a Jesus lover. And Paul's like, I know, I've got a past, long, full. And Paul's like, I haven't made it, but I have to stay with Jesus. I have to look ahead. I'm off and I'm running and I'm not turning back. I'm not looking back. And the thing is, you and I, we can't move forward with spiritual steam if we're always looking off to who else is running. If we're constantly focused on so-and-so and so-and-so. And we're bad about that as people. We're bad about comparing ourselves with other people. And the Bible tells us not to do that time and again. But yet we still do it. We compare. How's so-and-so keeping up with the Lord? How's so-and-so doing? And we compare ourselves with, how, with someone else's pace in that race. If you watch runners and if you watch Olympians, they, they might get a quick glimpse of those around them, but they're not constantly focused on everybody else who's running with them. Their coaches will tell them, run your race. A boxer in the ring, his coach will constantly remind him, fight your fight. Get your opponent to come into your circle and do it your way. If you try to stoop and do it their way, you won't make it. If you try to run and keep up with the Joneses, you will not make it. And if your name's is Jones, I'm sorry. Paul says, I'm off and running. I'm not looking back. I, I can't move. I can't have the kind of spiritual steam I need to have if I'm always focused on what somebody else is doing. Right? And we also can't move forward if we're focused on who's chasing after us, the enemy. 
We can't always be focused on what he's doing. We already know his plan. We already know what his tactics are. They're for evil. They're for harm. They're for destruction. We pay attention. We're awake. We're woke to it. But we're not always saying and and thinking about the devil and thinking about the enemy, thinking about what he's going to be doing. Thinking, No, we focus on our King Jesus, who is our victorious champion. And Paul understood that, and that's what Paul was getting across. I start, I step, and I stay with Jesus. Now, those who, who do that, those who start with, step with, and stay with Jesus, here's the thing, will be with Jesus forever. Those of us who endure to the end, the Bible says, will be saved. Those of us who endure to the end will be with Jesus forever. And guess what? Heaven is our prize. And heaven is so big and so full and has so many rewards for all the saints who cross the finish line. In fact, Jesus gave a a story and he said to the, the one who was faithful, to the one who made it, to the one who did it my way, I open up the door and I say, come on in to your master's mansion. Come on in and enjoy what I've been preparing for you. Heaven, folks, is for real. I've never been there. I want, a bit, I want to get there. I've never had a dream about it, never had like an out-of-body experience about it. A lot of people say they have and wrote stories about it and all that good stuff. But here's the thing. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 12, as we just read in our opening scripture, that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses who are cheering us on in this life of faith. In other words, they, they made it, they got there, they tasted it, they've seen it, they, they are there witnessing it, and they're looking back over the banister rail of heaven to all of us here today, and they're saying, come on, come on, come on, don't give up, come on, don't quit, come on, keep going, come on, have faith, come on, have endurance, come on, overcome that thing, come on, say no to that, come on and say yes to Jesus, come on, come on, come on, and they're cheering us on. One of the, uh, we had an obstacle course at kids camp, it was, I didn't participate, I wasn't a participant, I was a spectator, but one of the, one of the campers uh, was coming around the last turn, and they were coming up the finish line and getting approaching the finish line, and someone said, hey, let's cheer them on, let's cheer them on. And so it just got all of us cheering. Cut, I forget who it was, but come on, come on, come on. And everybody started clapping, and everybody started cheering their name, and that little kid kicked it in high gear, man, and started making the turn for home, for the home stretch. That is what those witnesses are doing for you and I. And Paul writes that, or Paul didn't write that, we don't know who wrote that, but Paul understood that in his letter to the Philippians, that heaven is our prize. And here's the thing, all the length of this earthly life is worth enduring to make it to heaven. But it takes something special for you and I to be able to endure. That something special can't be bought and it can't just be handed over to us. That something special is called discipline. The root word of discipline is disciple. The word disciple is what Paul's getting at are those who start, who step, and who stay with Jesus. The word disciple really means a lifelong learner and follower of Jesus Christ. And Paul was expressing that in his letter to the believers and to the elders and the deacons in the church. Because not one in the church had arrived. Not one had made it. Not one had been perfected in their faith. And Paul was getting that, hey... I haven't either. As long as I've been in this thing, I'm still learning and I'm still following Jesus. So think about that. Think about it. 
A disciple is a lifelong learner and follower of Jesus. But to be a disciple, obviously you got to first be born again. That's God's part. But to stay a disciple, then we have to build discipline into our life, and that's our part. So I want to give you four basic, four basic components, four basic parts of spiritual discipline that lead us to having our own personal God encounters. Okay? As great as our Sunday morning corporate gatherings are, they're nothing if we don't seek God on our own. Because we're not called to come and spectate here. We're called to come and participate here. Yes, we all have our need. Yes, we all have our thing. Yes, we all have our brokenness, absolutely, that we come to the we come to the church and we come into the presence of God and God moves and God speaks and God does some mighty things in our life. But at the same time, if you want to live a daily life encountering God, we have to personally encounter him. And I'd be letting you down. I would be doing you a serious, what's the word? Dis, what? Disservice. Thank you for teaching me. A serious disservice if I didn't teach you and try to lead you into having your own personal God encounters on your own. I would be a bad pastor if I told you Sunday morning is all there is. What about the other six days of the week? We have to all learn how to have our own personal God encounters. And I think there's a lot of basics, but just four. Four basic parts of spiritual discipline. Number one is reading God's word. Now, I know you're sitting here today, and you've probably been in this game for longer than I've been alive, some of you. But here's the deal. You'll, you'll get it. Reading God's Word. I, have, I started making a list a couple of weeks ago of some of my favorite scriptures. And I thought maybe I was going to do a message on just my favorite scriptures and how, what, how, what all they did and spoke and tied together and all that stuff. But then as I got to going through about today, I thought, no, I'll just kind of mention a few of them here today. I still might do that later, but here's the thing. Favorite scriptures, and I can only narrow them down to just a few. I'm just going to run through them because I'm, I'm going to get to a point here. Psalm 119.11 is one of my favorite scriptures. It says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. That was the very first scripture I ever memorized 27 years ago. Very first one I ever memorized. Your word, God's word, your word, God, I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you because I loved him and I love him. And I don't want to sin against him, but sometimes I mess up, right? Paul admitted to that. Your word, I've hidden my heart that I might not sin against you. Here's another one. Galatians 2.20. I love this one. This is another one I memorized. I've been crucified to Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Man, I love that scripture. But that's sometimes hard to live. I've been crucified with Christ. Here's another one of my favorites. Daniel 11.32. This one hung up in our youth room back in Memphis at the church I grew up in. It said, those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Reading that last part, man, made me want to know God so bad because I wanted to be strong in faith and I wanted to do something great for the Lord. It's one of my favorite ones. Hebrews 13, 8. I love this one. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today forever. He doesn't change. 
He doesn't change. Here's another one, Psalm 30, verse 5. God's anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I love that because that was, has been so helpful to me when I've had some enduring nights of weeping. Enduring seasons of weeping. But that promise coming around the next morning, joy comes in the morning. 2 Corinthians 10.5, man, this helped me out a whole lot. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Man, when there were some wicked, crazy, stupid thoughts flying through my head, still sometimes do, I have to remember that scripture that I have the power and the authority in Christ Jesus to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, to make it a prisoner and not let it run free in my head, but no, put a stop to it, to the obedience of Christ. That's God's word. Here's one more for you. You got time for one more, Colossians 3.11. Obviously, I got to put this one up because this is our church scripture. It says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. And I, I should have picked, uh, apologize, this is my fault, I should have picked the uh, new, um, what's it called, the uh, New Living Translation, because I like the way it says it. It says, in this new life, that's where I got it from, in this new life, it doesn't matter who you are. Christ is all that matters and that he lives in all of us. What's the big deal? Four basic parts of spiritual discipline leading to personal encounters with God. You've got to read your Bibles. How are you going to get this stuff out and get it into your life and make it work if we don't read it, right? Here's another one, another basic part of spiritual discipline. You guessed it, praying. Praying to God. When I first started to pray, I used to use, I still sometimes use a journal, but I started out using journals, writing my prayers down because I didn't want anybody to hear me. And, and I just started writing these things down and kept up with them over, over some time and some of them are real short, and some of them are kind of long. I'll read you a real long one real quick. I'm teasing. But anyway, these are just some of my journals that, that I've had over the, over the last 20-so years, just stuff. Some of them are sermons. Some of them are just prayers. Some of them just scriptures that I wrote down as God kind of showed me some things. But, man, I, I'm, I, I love these things. I hope I never lose them or somebody ever steals. Somebody steals them. Maybe they need them more than me, but... Uh, but just some good, good, good stuff that God has filled me with and helped me with um, over time. Man. <laughs> May 12, 2011. God, I'm tired and weary, emotionally exhausted, and I feel like I've been TKO'd. Not today. Why? Because I prayed, and God heard, and he answered me, and he picked me up off of the floor, picked me up off the mat, dusted me off, and took the sponge and wiped the blood away, and put that slick stuff over your eyebrows where the gloves won't stick, and he says, you're here, you're standing, you get your composure, you get your balance, you get your orientation again, and I'm going to send you back out when you're ready, and when I think you're ready, and you're going to give it another shot. That's why we're here today, folks, not because of me, but because of Jesus. Jesus. 
That's all. This is not built on me. This church isn't me. If we got to be huge or whatever it might be, it is still not me. I don't take credit for any of the good stuff. I have to accept the bad, but I can't take credit for the good. Jesus is our chief shepherd, and he wants to talk to you. He wants to hear your voice speak to him. Pray. Here's a third one, basic part of spiritual discipline. Number three, you guys got time for number three? Is planting yourself in God's church. Making yourself to become not just one who spectates, but one who participates in the life and engagement of the church, the mission of the church, being a disciple of Jesus, allowing yourself to be discipled, and then looking to how you can help disciple other people in the church, planting yourself in the church. I've only been a member of two churches, the one I came from in Memphis and this one here. I don't plan on being a member of any other church. I once told someone at dinner not too long ago that if I was not the pastor of this church, I would still be a member of this church. Because we got some good, solid leaders around in this church, and they're surrounded by great people. You. That makes my heart content that I would be safe in a church, even if I weren't the pastor. That's why I don't, I don't have an issue with turning the pulpit over to different folks throughout the season, throughout the year, people that I love and trust, because I know they're going to give you good things. And I know the people, the leaders in our church pray for you, and they care for you, and they help me to help shepherd you. Planting yourself in God's church. And the third one, or the fourth one is this, number four, four basic parts of spiritual discipline to leading a personal God encounter, circling yourself with godly friends. I know, that just sounds crazy. How absurd that a Christian would do something like that. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Circle yourself with godly friends. I thank God for godly friends in my life, especially over the last 27 years of knowing Jesus, because those godly friends saved my life and they spoke straight to me. They jerked my chain. They pulled me up. They pulled me in front of them and said, what are you thinking? What are you doing? Or, hey, yeah, that's a really solid idea. You should do that. They were affirming. They were loving. They were also correcting. They were also getting up in my grill. That's what good godly friends do. You need to think about who you are circled around with. You need to be giving thought to that. Why am I saying all this stuff? Because the more you build these things into your life, the stronger you'll be at running the race. Be surprised, people who've been in this thing a while, how tired some people can get, how lonely some people can feel. But God does not want anyone to fall, to stay down, or to fail. That's not his plan. No, God is for us and he's not against us as we were admonished during worship. He's created us that when we do fall, we get back up in Christ and continue with Christ. That's the way it works with him. God wants you to finish this life well, perhaps more than you often desire for yourself. I desired it big for my life, but I also desire it big for you. And here's the thing, I can't make you want it more than you want it. God can't do it either. He puts, you pray and he puts desire in your heart. He puts hope in your heart. He puts expectation in your heart. But you're the one who has to get up and step out and do it. 
Nobody else will do it for you. Nobody else will read the Bible for you. Nobody else will pray for you. Nobody else will plant themselves in the church. And nobody else will do it and be the kind of friend you need to be. You have to do it yourself. you got to own it. Come on, people, say own it. Say you got to own it. Why is this such a big deal? Because object lesson. You guys got time for an object lesson? So let's just say this base is your life. All right, and these, these are ping-pong balls. Say these ping-pong balls are what we talked about earlier, sin and sickness of the heart. And so say, okay, I want to I carry on my mission with Christ. I want to live for Jesus. I want to separate my life from whatever it is that holds me back from my purpose in Him. How do I do that? Well, you start first with those four basic spiritual disciplines. And so let's say this base is your life. The ping pong balls are, your, are the sins and sickness of the heart that happens. Here's what you got to do. You got to pour God's word into your life. You got to pour God's word into your life. You got to pray. You got to plant yourself in the church. Anybody following me so far? Anybody thirsty? You got to circle yourself with godly friends. Right? Look at what happens to the sin and the sickness of the heart. It's so close, right? But here's the deal. We can't read God's Word once. Can't pray just when you feel like it. You can't just be a part of the church on the days that are convenient. And you can't decide to have godly friends just because, uh, well, I'm not, I don't have anything else to do. I might as well call the brothers or sisters in the church, right? No, you got to keep pouring God's Word into your life, not just on Easter. you got to keep pouring God's Word in your life, not just at Christmas. you got to keep pouring it into your, not just at Youth America. you got to keep pouring God's Word and keep praying, not just at kids' camp. you got to keep pouring God's Word into your life, not just when it feels like I should. you got to keep pouring God's Word in your life, not just on the days that I feel like I should. No, you got to keep Pouring God's word into your life. Let's see if we can get those other two out. Come on, get out of there. I had to give it a little help. That's what good godly friends do. They give you that little nudge. Come on, somebody. That's what a good godly friend will do. They, they give you the nudge. They give you the push. They, they give you the talk. They give you that encouragement. They give you that truth. And they say, not today, Satan. Not today. I'm going to take you by the hand and I'm going to drag you to church even when you don't feel like it. All of us sometimes have probably had a drug problem. We've been drugged to church. Somebody in here will be like, no, I really do. And I'm telling you, if you really do, the only way out is Jesus. The only way free from addiction is Jesus. The only way free from pain is not more pain. It's Jesus. You're hurting. Jesus heals. You're lost. Jesus guides. Don't know where to go. Don't know what to do. Pray. Jesus will lead. He will align your life. And he will put the right kind of people in your path. Come on, I, I'm somebody who has been there and done that. I was lost. I was broken. I was broken. I was broke too. I was hurting. I had addictions in my life that were not good. 
And the only way those things began to crack and crumble and fall off my life and shatter and be destroyed was God's Word. I had to keep pouring God's Word in my life. And every now and again, here's the thing, you're going to get tired of doing this. You're going to get tired of praying. You're going to get tired of reading your Bible. Come on, right? That happens. You're going to get tired. You're not going to feel like it. Life's going to get busy. Life's going to get difficult and challenging. Your calendars are going to get filled up, and you want to take more vacations than you should, and you want to get out of town more than you should, and you don't want to really be a part of a church because you're tired and you're weary and your bills aren't paid, and how's that going to help if I just go to church on Sunday and all these things, and, and pretty, you're going to get tired of, of doing the things that we're called to do, the basic things. And soon you're going to, and stuff, sin and sickness of the heart will pile back up, But here's the thing, if you keep praying, they won't stick. If you keep your life filled, they won't stay. If you keep your life full of the right things, this stuff won't have a hold on you. Oh, and then if you pour a little more word in your life, you pour a little more prayer in your life, pretty soon the right kind of friends, the church and all those things, help you stay the way you're called to stay. I'm going to have to dry that wood floor or we might be kicked out of here. Because we don't own this place. We are just leasers and renters. The more you do the basics, the stronger you will become. The longer you activate the basics in your life, the greater endurance you will have. Soon you will discover that the sins and the sickness of the heart, they won't stick. They won't stay. That's a good object lesson, man. I did, I, I did this at kids camp, and uh, it was so much fun. I said, I've got to do this at, for everybody. So I did. That's why. <laughs> I like object lessons. They're, they really help. We're called to endure. Amen. We're called to endure. And I'm not going to endure any more preaching with you today. But that's what this table reminds us of. That's what these, the, this table and the elements remind us of, guys. That Jesus prepared a table. And he said, I, the bread is my body. The juice is my blood. Every time you eat the bread and you drink from the cup of the new covenant, you're remembering me. It's the basics. You don't stop doing the basics. You don't stop doing the basics. You don't, you don't advance to, to bigger degrees and harder things and, and, and unless you continue to keep the basics at work in your life. It doesn't matter how advanced you get, there's still the element of the that are at work in every one of our lives because we're all going to get tired we're all going to get weary we're all going get, to get caught up in certain things throughout life it happens we're all going to have bad things happen to good people it happens I hate that it happens it, it, but it happens it hurts it's, it stinks but we have to keep doing the basics perhaps Some of our lives aren't as advanced. We're not moving further along. We're not living our life with purpose in Christ because we haven't really ever really done the basics. 
or we tried the basics and we got bored with the basics. Friends, you'll never lose the basics. They will always stay apart. And that's, this table is beautiful because of what it represents. You're always going to need the body of Christ. You're always going to need the blood of Jesus. That's what this reminds us of today. So here in a moment, I'm going to invite you forward. As you come to the table, if you'll, you'll take the bread and you'll dip it in the, in the cup. And then I just, we ask that if you would take, take about a minute or two before you consume the element and get into a group of others around the church, three or four or five folks, however, whatever. Take a minute and pray. Reflect. Because Paul's message to the Philippian believers applies to us today. We must press on to reach the end of the race and to receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. He's calling you today, friend. He's calling you to start with Him. He's calling you to step with Him. And He's calling you to stay with Him. Let's bow our heads. Father, today we are so honored to be in your presence because you welcome us. You welcome us. As we are. But you love us so much that you don't leave us that way. You send us on our day and on our way better changed if we'll let you do it. And that's what we pray today. God, anyone here, wherever we are, we haven't started with you, or maybe we have, but we've not stepped with you. We've not stayed with you. We ask you now, forgive us. You can ask him to forgive you of that, and he will forgive you right here, right where you are, just you and him. Forgive us, O oh Lord, for straying. Forgive us, O oh God, for getting off course. Forgive us, O oh God, for trying to do life on our own, in our own strength our own way. No, you saved us and your way is better. Help us to carry ourselves forward in you. Help us, Lord, to take the steps forward in you and to stay with you and just do the basics. I know there's more. We know there's, there are other things in your word that, that apply, but help us just to stick with the basics, oh God, to press on. To reach the end of this race of life and to receive from you our heavenly prize that is in Christ Jesus. It's an upward call and it's a high calling. We must leave things away alone here on earth. We must repent and leave stuff behind for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus. So I pray as we come to this table today, we come with humble hearts. We come with an open heart to remember the sacrifice you made, Jesus, and that it is all in you and forever will be with you. We thank you for the love and the forgiveness you offer now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.